Chapter Twelve of Fra the Phoenician by Edwin Lester Arnold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Grim and angry, all that night I chewed the bitter cud of my rejection, and before the new day was an hour old, determined life was no longer worth the living in that place. I determined to leave those walls at once, to leave all my songs unsung, my trysts unkept to leave all my jolly comrades, the tilt-yards and banquets, but I could not do this so secret as I would. The very paying off of my score down in the buttery, the dismissing of my attendants, each with largesse, the seriousness I could not but give to my morning salutation of some of those I should never see again, betrayed me. And thus a whisper, first down the vaulted guard-room, and then a rumour, and anon, a widening murmur the news was spread until surely the very jackdaws on the battlements were saying to themselves fra is going fra fra is going yes and the tidings spread to that fair floor of a hundred corridors where the norman arched windows looked down fourscore feet upon the river winding amid its shining morning meadows bringing a sigh to more than one silken pillow it reached the unhappy red-eyed Isabel, and presently she tripped down the twining stone staircase, the loose folds of her skirt thrown over her arm to free her pretty feet, and in her hand a scrap of writing, a cartel, she called it, seemingly newly opened. She came to the sunny empty corridor where I stood alone, and touched me on the arm as I watched from a lattice, my charger being armed and saddled in the courtyard underneath and when I turned, held out her hand to me in frank and simple fashion. How could I refuse the proffer of so fair a friendship? And pulling my velvet cap from my head, I put her white fingers to my lips. And was it true? she asked with a sigh. I was really going that morning, and so suddenly. Only too true, I answered, and, saving her presence, not so sudden as my inclination prompted, much as I saw she wished to question the why and wherefore, but of this, as of nothing touching her stern sister, would I tell her. So presently she came to her point, and fingering that scroll she had, very downcast and blushful, said, You're a good knight, Sir Stranger, and strong and experienced in arms. Your ladyship's description wakes my ambition to deserve your words. And generous I have noticed, and as indulgent to page and squire of tender years as you are the contrary to stronger folk and if this were so madam i asked what then oh only she said wondrous shy and frightened that i have here a cartel from a friend of mine a youth of noble family who has heard of thee and would go to the wars in your company as your comrade i mean that is if you would take him why damsel the wars are free to every one but I am in no mood just now to tutor a young gallant in slitting Frenchmen's throats. But this one, sir, very particularly wishes to travel with you, of whose prowess he is so convinced. He has, alas, quarrelled with those at whose side he should most naturally ride. He will be no trouble. For my sake you must take him. And, said the cunning girl, standing on tiptoe to be the nearer my ear, he is rich, though friendless by a rash love. He will gladly see to both your horses, and disperse your passage over to France, even for the honour of remembering that he did it. 
now this touched me very nearly one by one my rings had gone and that morning after paying scores and largesse in truth i had found my wallet completely empty once again if this youth had money even though it were but sufficient to buy corn for our charges on the way and pay the ferry over to yonder fair field of adventure why there was no denying he would be a very convenient travelling companion and it would go hard but that i could teach him something in return thinking this i lifted my eyes and found those of isabel watching the workings of my face with pretty cunning in truth maid if thy friend has so much gold as would safely land us with king edward in flanders why i must confess that just at present that does greatly commend him to me what sort of a man is he the question seemed to overwhelm the lady who blushed and hung her head like a poppy that has stood a week's drought in truth sir she murmured i do not know not know but you said he was your friend oh so i did and now i come to think of it he is a tall youth about my size and make gads but he will be a shapely if somewhat sapling gallant i laughed letting my eye roam over the supple maiden figure before me but though he be so slim the girl hastened to add as if she feared that she had been indiscreet you will find the youth a rare good horseman and clever in many things he can cook if thou art ever belated like a frenchman and can read missals to thee and write like a monk thy comrades to-night will be one in a thousand he can sing like a mavis on a fir-top i like not these singing knights fair maid their verses are both too smooth for soldier ears and too licentious for maidens ah but my friend quoth isabel with a blush never sang an ungentle song in his life you will find him a most civil most simple-spoken companion very well i will have him no doubt we shall grow as close together as boone's companions should would that you might grow so close together as i could wish said the english girl with a sigh i did not understand and now how am i to know this friend i asked this slim and gentle youth what is his name and what is face i had near forgotten that and it was like a woman for they say they ever keep the most important matter to the last this boy for good reasons that i know but may not mention has sworn a vow after the fashion of the chivalry he delights in not to show his face not to wear his honourable name until some happier time shall come for him he is in love like many another and does conceive his heart to be most desperately consumed thereby wherefore he has taken the name of flamaucour and bears upon his shield a device to that effect this alone will point him out to you over and above the dropped visor which no earthly power will make him lift until this war and quest of his be over but you will know him i feel in my heart without consideration sir knight you will know this youth when you meet him something in my innermost heart does tell me even as i should know one that i loved or loved me behind twenty thicknesses of steel and now good-bye until we meet again the fair maid gave me her hand as though to part and then hesitated a moment presently she mustered up courage and said thou bearest me no ill-will for yonder wild meeting of ours maiden it is forgotten well let it be so i do not know what possessed me i was hurried down the stream and feeling like a leaf on a tide twas i that met thee there by the cedars and yet it was not me something so wild and fierce 
such a hot intruder spirit burnt within this poor circumference that i think i was damnate and bewitched thou dost most clearly understand that this hot fit is over now i clearly understand and that i love thee no longer quoth the lady with a sigh or at least not near so much madam so i conceive it be at ease it is sacred between us two and i will forget thanks a thousand thanks even for the relief that cold forgetfulness does give me and now again good-bye be gentle to flamaucoeur and and burst out the poor girl as her control forsook her if there is an eye in the whole of wide heaven oh may it watch thee if ever prayers of mine can pierce to the seat of the eternal oh may they profit thee gods that my wishes were iron bars for thy dear body and my salt tears could but rivet them good-bye good-bye and kissing my hands in a fierce outburst of weeping that fair white girl turned and fled and disappeared through the tapestries that screened the norman archways before nightfall i was down by the english coast and many a long league from the castle thoughtful and alone my partings made i had paced out from its gloomy archway the gay feathers on my helmet top near brushing the iron teeth of the portcullis lowering above and my charger's hoofs falling as hollow on the echoing drawbridge as my heart beat empty to the sounds of happy life behind me away south went the pathway trodden day after day by contingents of gallant troops from that nightly stronghold jove one might have followed it at midnight those jolly bands had made a trail through copse and green wood through hamlet and through heather like the track of a storm wind they had beaten down grass and herbage they had robbed orchards and spinneys and here their wayside fires were still a-smouldering and their waved rags upon the bushes and broken shreds and baggage now and then as i paced along i saw in the hamlets the folk still looking southwards and standing gossiping on the week's wonders the boys meanwhile careering in mock onset with broken spear-shafts or discarded trappings oh twas easy enough to know which way my friends had gone so plain was the track and so well did my good horse acknowledge it that there was little for me to do but sit and chew the bitter cud of fancy all through the hot afternoon all through the bright sunshine and shining green bracken did we saunter back towards the grey sea i knew so well back towards that void beginning of my wanderings and as my sad thoughts turned to when i last had sat a charger in such woods as these to my fair saxon homestead editha the abbey and its abbot my donning english mail and breaking spears for a smile from yon cold peeress with much more of like nature went idly flitting through my head but hardly a thought among all that motley crowd was there for isabel or her tears and my promised meeting with her playmate thus it happened that as evening fell and found me still some two miles from where our troops lay camped along the shore waiting to-morrow's ferrying across to france i rode down the steep bank of a small river to a ford and slowly waded through there be episodes of action that live in our minds and incidents of repose that recur with no less force so then that placid evening stream has come before me again and again 
in the hot tumult of onset and melee in court and camp in the cold of winter and in summer's warmth i have ridden that ford once more i have gone down sad and thoughtful as i did my loose reins on my charger's arching neck watching the purple shine of the water where it fretted and broke in the evening light against his fetlocks again and again i have listened to the soft lisp of the stream as he drank of that limpid trough and i have seen in its cool fresh mirror my own tall image my waving crimson plumes and the one white star of the evening above reflected upon it and yet if these things of a remote yesterday are fresh in my mind even more so is my meeting with the slim gallant whose figure rose before me as i emerged from the ford as my good english charger bore me up from the hollow on the brow of the opposite rise was a mounted figure standing out clear and motionless against the yellow glow of the sunset at first i thought it would be some wandering spearman bound on a like errand with myself for more than one or two such had passed that day but something in the steadfast interest of that silent horseman roused my curiosity even before i was near enough to see the colour of his armour or the device upon his shield up we scrambled up that sandy heathery scar the strong sinews of my war-horse playing like steel cordage under my thighs as he lifted me and my armour up the gravelly path and then as we topped the rise and came into the evening breeze that strange warrior advanced and held out a hand never in all my experience had i known a knight extend the palm of friendship to another so demure and downcast truth i thought to myself this friend of isabel's is in fact as she said the most modest-mannered soldier who ever took a place in the rough game of war but i was pledged to like him and therefore in the most hearty manner possible as we came up knee to knee i slapped my heavy hand into his extended fingers and welcomed him loudly as a long-looked-for comrade and in truth he was a very pretty fellow whose gentle presence grew upon me after that first meeting each hour we lived together he seemed as far as i could judge no more than five-and-twenty years of age yet even that was but a guess for his armour was complete from top to toe his visor was down and there was indeed naught to judge by but a certain slightness of limb and suppleness that spoke of no more mature years in height this gallant was very passable enough and his helmet with its nodding plumes added some grace and inches to his stature while his pale grey mail was beautifully fashioned and moulded and spoke through every close joint and cunning finished link of a young but well-proportioned soldier the arms this warrior carried were better suited to his strength than to that of the man who rode beside him his lance was long and of polished inlay while mine beside it was like the spear of goliath to a fisher's hazel wand his dagger was better for cutting the love-knot on a budget of sonnets than for disburdening foemen's spirits of their mortal shackles his cross-hilted sword was so light it made me sigh to look at it on his shield was a heart wrapped in flames most cunningly painted and expressive enough in those days when every man took a pride in being as vulnerable to women as he was unapproachable among men but who am i that i should judge that gentle knight by myself by me 
whose sinews countless fights have but matured who have been blessed by the gods with bulk and strength above other mortals why should i measure his brand new lance gleaming in the pride of virgin polish against the stern long spear i carried or that dainty brand of his that mayhap his tender maid had belted on him for the first time some hours before with such a broad blade as long use had made lighter to my hand than a lady's distaff before we had paced a mile flamaucoeur had proved himself the sprightliest companion who ever enlivened a dull road with wit and laughter at first was i that spoke for he had not one word in all the world to say he was so shy but when i twitted him for this and laughed and asked him of his lady-love and how she had stood the parting how many tears there had been and whether they all were hers and whose heart was that upon his shield his own or the damsel's and so on in bantering playfulness i got down to the mettle of that silent boy he winced beneath my laughter for a little time and fidgeted upon his saddle and then the gentle blood in his veins answered as i hoped it would and he turned and gave me better than i offered such a pretty fellow in wordy fence i never saw his tongue was like a woman's it was so hard to silence when i thought i had him at disadvantage on a jest he burked the point of my telling argument and struck me below my guard when i would have pinned him to some keen inquiry regarding that which he did not wish to tell he turned questioner with swift adroitness and made quicker than it takes to write his inquisitor the humble answerer to his playful malice he was better at that fence than i there could be no doubt and very speedily his nimble tongue which sounded so strange and pleasant in the hollow of his helmet had completely mastered mine so with a laugh i did acknowledge to the conquest whereon that generous youth was pleased i saw and laid aside his coyness and chattered like a mill-stream among the gravels on an idle sunday he turned out both shrewd and witty with a head stuffed full of romance and legend just as one might have who had spent a young life listening to troubadours and minstrels and i liked him none the less because he trimmed the gross fables of that time to such a decent shape he told me one or two that i had heard before although he knew it not and as i had heard them from the licentious lips of courtly minstrels they are not fit to write or tell but my worthy wayfarer clipped and purged them so adroitly and turned them out so fair and seemly all with such a nice unconsciousness i scarce could recognise them he was a most gentle-natured youth and there was something in his presence something in the half-frankness he put forth and something in that there was strange about him which greatly drew me now you would think to listen to him he was all a babbling stream as shallow as could be and then anon a turn of sad wisdom or a sigh set you wondering as when that same stream runs deep into the shadows and you hear its fret and fume with gathering strength far away in unknown depths of mother earth a most enticing a most perplexing comrade beguiling the way in this fashion and liking my new ally better and better as we went we came a little after nightfall on a wet and windy evening to the hamlet near the sea where the rearguard of the english troops were collected for ferrying over to france here we halted and sought food and shelter but neither were to be had for the asking 
that little street of english dwellings was crowded with hungry troopers they were camping by their gleaming watch-fires all along the grassy ways so full was every lodgment while every yellow window of the dim gabled alehouse in the midst shone into the wet dark night and every room within was replete with stamping clanking noisy gallants their chargers filled the yard and were picketed a furlong down the muddy road that sloped to the murmuring unseen sea and there was not space it seemed for one single other horse or rider in the whole friendly village but the insidious flamoqueur found a way and place he sought out the master of the inn himself and unheeding of his curt refusals made requests so cunning and used his money-pouch so liberal that the strong and surly yeoman with much to do found as a loft to sleep in which was a bedroom better than the wayside though still but a rough one then flamoqueur waylaid the buxom hurrying housewife and on an evening when many a good gentleman was going supperless to bed got us a loaf of white bread and a wooden bowl of milk the which we presently shared most comrade-like my friend lifting his visor so much as might suffice to eat but yet not enough to show his face he waylaid a lad and for a coin or two and a little of his sweet-voiced cajoling got our steeds watered and sheltered though many another lordly sleek-limbed beast stood all night unwashed unminded a most persuasive youth was flamoqueur and then our frugal supper made and our horses seen to we went to bed diffident ingenious young knight he made my couch while i was not by long and narrow no bigger than for one of all the soft things he could lay his hand on as though forsooth i were some tender flower and for himself hardly spread a horse-cloth on the bare floor now when i came up and found this done without a word i sent the boy to go and see what the night was like and if the moon yet showed or if it rained and when he went forthwith pulled that couch to bits respreading it so it was broad enough for two good comrades side by side ah and when flamoqueur came back i rated him soundly telling him that though it was set in the laws of arms that a young knight should show due deference to an older yet all that comrades had of hard or soft was equally dividable both board and bed and good luck and misfortune and he was amenable though still a little strange and unbuckled his armour by our dim rushlight and then poor tired youth with that iron mask upon his head in his quilted underwear threw himself upon the couch and slept almost before he could straighten out those shapely limbs of his and i presently lay down by his side and slept while all through my dreams went surging the wildest fancies of tilt and tawny and lady's love and now i heard in the uproar of the restless village street and the neighing of the chargers at their pickets the noise of battle and of onset and then i thought i had on some unknown field five thousand spearmen overset against an hundred times as many and while my heart bounded proudly in answer to that disadvantage and i rode up and down our glittering ranks speaking words of strength and courage to those scanty heroes waving my shining sword in the sun that shone for victory on us and curbing my fretting charger's restless valour methought somehow the words dried up upon my lips 
and the proud murmur of my firm-set veterans turned to a low moaning wail and a grey mist of tears put out the sun and black grief drank up the warriors and while i wrestled with that melancholy blodwin my princess was sitting by my side cooling my hot forehead with her calm immortal hand and calling me with smiling accent dull unwitful easily beguiled and all the time that young gallant by me lay limp supine asleep and soulless so passed the chequered fancies of the night and the earliest dawn found us up in arms and ready for sterner things again i had to owe to flamaucoeur's ready wit and liberal purse precedence for our needs above all the requirements of the many good knights who would have crossed with the haste they could but had perforce to wait it was he who got us a vessel sufficient for our needs when the fisher-folk were swearing there was not a ship to be hired for twenty miles up or down the coast in this we embarked with our horses and one or two other gentlemen we knew and in a few hours sailing the english shore went down and the sunny cliffs of normandy rose ahead of us will you doubt but that i stood thoughtful and silent as the green and silver waves were shivered by our dancing prow and that strange familiar land rose up before us i that british i who had seen caesar's galleys heavy with umbrian and etrurian put out from that very shore i who had stood on the green cliffs of harold's kingdom and shaken a saxon javelin towards that home of norman tyranny i this knightly steel-bound i stood and watched that country grow upon us with thoughts locked in my heart there were none to listen to and none to share oh it was passing strange and i did not rouse me until our iron keel went gently riding up the norman gravel and our vessel was beached upon the hostile shore End of chapter twelve